This is R.J. Rushdoony, Easy Chair Number 410. In this session, Douglas Murray, Mark Rushdoony, and I will be discussing with Dennis Rowe more of the work in Hungary or anywhere else you want to touch on, but this trip to Hungary, I think, has been particularly important of uh, this independent missionary agency. Now, as I said in my introduction to our previous tape, this type of work represents really a return to the more historic position of the Christian Church. Centralization first captured Rome and then it captured Protestantism. And in neither case has it been uh, altogether successful and often has been disastrous. In fact, many Protestant churches have centralized their work far more than uh, even Rome has. So it's an unfortunate tendency within the church to feel that safety lies in uh, centralization and control. Well, Dennis, would you like to go further in your analysis and uh, uh, yes, tell us how did the Hungarians react to this ordination of these young men? Well, that's so soon, that's yet to be seen. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I haven't heard... Um, you know, what the fallout, but we were getting it already before I left when it, it was in the wind that we were going for this very thing, uh, that is to take part in the ordination. Um, even when I was at my own classes meeting, I received a call from an individual, um, we'll just call him Sandballot. <laughs> mm -hmm. His buddy Tobias also here in the U.S., but we've had our Sandballot and Tobias, if you're familiar with that, from Nehemiah. Yes. And he called up threatening um, one of our ministers who was going with me uh, with schism for going over and taking part in ordination. And uh, which... You know, and, and made, I've had other threats as well. I had um, the assistant to one of the bishops call me up here in California and uh, make veiled threats of physical harm to myself. Um, the he had followed the typical uh, Marxist approach. What they would do to um, um, get someone in trouble, they would often publish a letter and sign another person's name to it. And uh, this fellow did the same concerning a uh, uh, supposed letter by uh, Zoke Imre, our assistant director that I told you about, and another man. And it was published here in the U.S. in one of the papers. Here, here's our assistant director and one of our teachers denouncing Dr. Rapp in this letter, which was absurd. <laughs> And uh, when I found out this was going to be published by a magazine here in the U.S., I knew the editor, and I called him. I said, please don't do this. I'll provide you with documentation from these two men. They've sent me a fax denying any knowledge of any such letter. And I said, you know, why would you, do you have a, this, a signed letter? He says, oh, yes, I have a signed letter by these men. Would you please produce a copy for me? Any which he never did. And yet he went to the press and published this thing. And so uh, we've had this kind of opposition all the way along. Uh, the publishing of a false letter, and he never would reprint uh, or print something um, saying that it uh, was false. And uh, this, in fact, is the same editor who was the one who called uh, the uh, classes meeting with this kind of threat. And this assistant to the bishop who had come up with this forged letter called me and threatened me. He said, when you come to Hungary, we'll know how to take care of you. <laughs> I said, well, do what you have to do. <laughs> but did you produce this fraudulent letter? And he wouldn't answer me. And I just kept asking that, and finally he became very angry and hung up. Uh, why these men who present themselves to be uh, 
you know, respectable ministers in the Reformed Church would oppose this work. It's just astounding to me, other than the fact, I mean, you know, what is it? But unbelief, uh, you know, are they? Does the church offer them a, uh, a financial haven that they would not otherwise enjoy in gen the general society? You are a perceptive individual, Mr. Murray. <laughs> yes, they, yes, they are paid, I believe, uh, by the state even. And the bishops are the ones who kind of control that, and they're able to dole out monies for this and that. In fact, that's what they did to literally buy some of our students away from the school. I, I mean, the techniques of misinformation and disinformation are right out of the communist state manual of how to get things done. I just wonder how much communism has been wrung out of the country in the process of getting rid of it. One of our young men, you bring that up, he, he they send reports to us regularly from the field was saying that in the local newspaper, the church paper, it was reported that the students were all in a drunken type of orgy uh, with all the money that they're getting from, from the U.S. as they drive around in their Mercedes, <laughs> which is just uh, ludicrous, you know. Mm -hmm. It is interesting that that kind of report was raised against J. Gresham Machen when he founded Westminster Seminary. Supposedly, he had a group of drunken students there. Now, nothing could have been further from the truth. There was nothing even remotely uh, resembling the truth in the charge. In fact, when it was tracked down, all that the man could say was they had used wine mixed half and half with water in the communion service at the chapel. Hmm. So supposedly out of a little communion cup, half water, half wine, the students had uh, become drunkards and were stumbling around. Well, if anything, it's, it's the, the truth of the matter, it's the other way because there isn't a biblical standard for the ministry. There are all kinds of horror stories about mm -hmm. the pastors in the Hungarian Reformed mm -hmm. Church. I don't want to detail those, but, I mean, that's par for the course. If you don't believe the Bible is the Word of mm -hmm. God, and that God calls us to live in a manner pleasing to Him, and that the law is to be written on our hearts mm -hmm. to govern us, then what give? I mean, anything goes. Is the Hungarian no. Reformed Church actually a state church? Yes. Mm -hmm. Oh, yes very much intertwined. Mm -hmm. I believe the ministers are still paid from the state. I was actually tried on one occasion for teaching the Bible outside the church on the Lord's Day. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I challenged them to find anything in the Bible that uh, gave them any ground for that. And one minister, really a very superior man, but so blind by his allegiance to the church, got up and said it was in Corinthians, First uh, Corinthians 14, let all things be done decently in order. <laughs> yeah. And I said, marvelous, that was the verse that was used to condemn Machen. Well, I've had some who've challenged me about being involved in a, they love saying, independent mission board. Mm -hmm. And I respond, I said, well, if it's good enough for Dr. Machen, it's good enough for me. They said, well, that was out of necessity. I said, it's out of necessity now. Yes. I have a divine imperative yes. to go into all the world and preach the gospel. How can we ever be against preaching the gospel as Christians? Now, if I'm preaching unorthodoxy, then expose me. Yes. If I'm in preaching anything contrary to the Word of God, or if I bring another gospel, woe unto me. But don't forbid me from preaching the gospel. What they have done is to exalt the church into a position where it is now a rival to Christ in its authority. I'm afraid that's true in far too many places. Yes. Well, and they, I've, I've said if push comes to shove, I mean, I, I will not stop this work. Mm-hmm. I can't. No. Well, the kinds of attacks that you're undergoing in writing, uh, these are uh, the attempts of uh, 
people who are insecure uh, in their faith. There are people that are uh, actually in panicky that you might just succeed. Yes. Well, we, get, we are so careful about crossing our T's and dotting our I's that we don't do the work. We, you know, and yet, you know, I mean, we have to wait for a denomination to reinvent the wheel, you know, to invent evangelism, to invent church planting. Uh, meanwhile, people are perishing. Now, we say we believe in the sovereignty of God, and God has ordained the means of the preaching of the gospel for the converting of his elect, and we must preach. And woe unto us if we do not preach the gospel. I mean, there is no other power that I know of for converting souls. It is the gospel that's the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes. And, you know, we say we believe these things and let us do that very thing. I want, before I forget, I want to say one exciting thing. Um, Dr. Rapp is just a, a man of vision. I mean, I'm amazed at how God uses this servant uh, he, um, there was a need uh, where we are, we're leasing this building, and the guy who owns it, I don't know whether he's a Christian or not, but he keeps raising the, the rent. rent because I think he's got, he thinks he has this sweetheart deal with this American mission agency, right? And it's gotten astronomical, and we're saying, this isn't good stewardship. We need to find, you know, property. And uh, so our... our assistant administrator Zoke Imre went out and he looked and he looked and finally he came across this property and it was $150,000. Now, California prices, you know, you might get a lot in a little house. And of course, I didn't know what it would, what it would be. I mean, a lot of the homes in Hungary are, and buildings are in disrepair because of the years of, of Marxism, which take away, you know, the personal pride for work and, and the upkeep of your own property. And so going over there, well, back, I better back up a little bit. So Dr. Rapp said, well, this is a property, and he went over and he saw it, and he said, this is a good property, you know, we need to get this to be good stewards of the money that, that God is providing here. I said, how are we going to do this? Our little mission, this is $150,000. And uh, he said, well, I have the deal here and uh, the fellow's going to hold the mortgage for 12 months, no interest. And if God wants us to have it, we'll have it. I said, how are we going to raise this? Let me figure it out, how much you have to raise each month, roughly about $15,000, $16,000 a month. And uh, amazingly, I don't know where the money's coming from, but God's been touching people's hearts and they've been digging into their pocketbooks. So far we've made every mortgage payment but it's been at the wire and I was able to see the property and I couldn't believe it right in Mishkoltz it's it's an acre of land there's a home where Zoke can be with his wife he's newly married so he can be right there in the property which is important because of the high crime rate there and we, we need to talk about that too the needs there in Hungary but there's a, a big L-shaped building with uh, classrooms, all we need, uh, a beautiful a room for worship and uh, in the assembly of all the students, and even dormitory building, as well as a half acre of open land for expansion or, or what have you, for $150,000, right around the corner from the train station. And I just marvel at that. It's just a tremendous piece of property. And I look at that, what better investment in the work of missions at this point for a legacy for years to come with this school and what you know we can do there. So I just would say to your listeners, if, if you have a burden for missions, I know of a real need. We've got to come up with the rest of the money in the next, uh, I think we have about uh, four months of payments left, and so far we've made it. And I know of people who are giving, I and mean, you talk about sacrificially, they're taking their own property and, and uh, putting up money for this. One of the things that interested me was uh, your statement in our last hour that uh, 
these students are beginning work among the gypsies. Yes. Now that's very important because, first of all, the gypsies are the untouchables, really, of Europe. Very few people realize the dislike, resentment, and hatred most people feel of gypsies. They don't want to be around them. They don't want to be with them. They'll speak of them as dirty, as uh, untrustworthy, and so on. And yet, at present, the gypsy peoples of Europe are in a major crisis, particularly Central Europe. Uh, I know because uh, Macedonian Outreach, my brother and my sister-in-law's organization, which is a part of Chalcedon, yes. works among gypsies quite extensively in Bulgaria. And the Bulgarian gypsies, like those of surrounding countries, are really in a state of shock. They were rounded up and executed by Hitler, and the communists proceeded to do the same too. So the extent of loss among the uh, gypsy peoples of Central Europe was tremendous. It shook them to the ground of their being, and so for the first time they're ready to consider the faith seriously. And as a result, great numbers of uh, gypsies are coming to the faith. Uh, these are independent works because most of the existing groups, whether evangelical or reformed, uh, and especially not if they're liberal, want anything to do with gypsies. They are regarded almost as untouchables. And the fact that these young men have already gained a vision for these gypsies is very, very exciting. Uh, it is, and uh, I think part of it uh, has to do with um, our whole philosophy of ministry at the school, that they need to be continually working in ministry. You can't just go into pure academia, if you will, and, and divorce yourself from really the, that's the life of the church, is doing that work of service. Mm -hmm. And uh, and so it, it's just uh, God has blessed that, to keep that in their hearts and minds. And um, they don't have any problem about going to the gypsies at all. There's no prejudice in, in, whatsoever, which is very good to see. Mm -hmm. Because, as you know, it's often the outcast that God is using yes. to build his kingdom. Amen. Yes. And the Christians for generations were outcasts in the Roman Empire. By becoming Christian, they made themselves outcasts. Well, that's almost the way it is, it seems, with these young men. I mean, mm -hmm. they're being called, you know, fundamentalist or pietist or, or what have you on that very thing and leaving the Hungarian Reformed Church because they want... What the, hung, what the Reformed ought to want, what the Heidelberg Catechism talks about when it asks a question about true faith, what is true faith, it's not only a certain knowledge, but it's a hearty trust. Mm -hmm. You see, it's a living thing. Just like the church isn't an institution in, in the sense that, you know, it's, it's something that's made of a building or on paper, as you said, it's the people. You know, the living stones, that's the way it's illustrated yes. in Scripture. Christ being the chief cornerstone. But all of these, all of these <clears throat> cultures in Europe have had uh, uh, hundreds of years of, of a gradual move towards statism, and they don't know anything else. And it's, it's going to be very difficult to accomplish that change in one generation. Well, you're seeing that even in the, in the basic... Uh, necessities of life. They don't want to work. You have generations there. I think the unemployment, I was told, I believe, is around 35% among the male population, uh, the adults. How do they get by? They probably are going to the state looking for a handout. Alcoholism is just rampant thievery. I, I got mugged again. I made my donation on <laughs> at the train station. Uh, boy, they're slick. 
the brothers had had to go to the bathroom and they left me holding the bags and this big guy came and spun me around another guy grabbed a bag and ran off i couldn't leave the other bags and they got me you know so that's a state of affairs there and it we just god has god will raise up a new generation that knows the lord that's like in Israel when they became statist and wanted their centralized uh, worship and so forth. I was interested also that uh, some of the work these young men are contemplating uh, will be in uh, Transylvania and the Ukraine. Uh, very few people realize that Hungary, because of the wrong kind of leadership, dictatorship really, ended up the loser in two world wars. And as a result, there are portions of Hungary that are in alien hands, the hands of Romania, the Ukraine, and various other countries, Poland, and so on, so that... Uh, there's a, a bad scene there, and some of these are the most uh, intensely uh, loyal Hungarians, and also uh, some of the real remnant among the Hungarian peoples, as far as the faith is concerned, will be in these alienated territories. That's one reason why uh, Romania and other countries have been so bitter and ugly in their treatment of R Hungarians, and of course, Ceausescu and uh, his regime. A lot, yes, of people, a lot of people fled to Austria in the, uh, in the uprising, Hungarian uprising uh, in the early 50s. And I wonder where that group has gone. Did they just come to the... United States are, are just dispersed throughout Europe, or did they go back? There, there are millions of Hungarians outside of Hungary proper. That's the, that's the case, and as, mm -hmm. as Dr. Rushton was pointing out, they often are um, maligned for being Hungarians. In, mm -hmm. in Romania, I know that I was told that they weren't allowed uh, to have uh, Hungarians to be their teachers. They had to go where Romanians were their teachers. Hungarians could be teachers, but they couldn't teach other Hungarians because they were propagating their faith. And uh, they were, uh, you know, shifted all around Romania so they couldn't uh, gather together because they did have a common bond in that sense. And the same in other countries as well, all around Hungary and all the other nations that were made up after World War II and the breakup of the Austrian-Hungarian Empire, and uh, then with the, uh, the communist and the, the Eastern Bloc nations that they made, they did that very thing. They, they kept the Hungarians from having any identity. And as Dr. Rushton points out, they are some of the most loyal Hungarians, and that's where we're having the best work. Most of our students come from Transylvania, not from Hungary proper. Although we've tried to work with them, of course, having the opposition of the Hungarian Reformed Church certainly doesn't help us at this point. Well, it does. I take that back. I, I think it does. It's really setting us apart for who we are and what we're trying to do in the Lord's work. The opposition of these bishops, I think, just shows them for what they are. Um, I'm not taking delight in that, but, uh, you know, I don't, I don't have a... A pessimistic view about this Christ is building his kingdom mm -hmm. and he often does it this way he's separating in his good counsel the, the dross from the gold I think it's worth uh, making a note of the fact that uh, Hungary is an unusual country in that it is one of the three non-European uh, peoples uh, in that part of the world, uh, together with the Finns and the Turks. Uh, 
Uh, the Hungarians are a Mongol people. They speak a uh, language uh, which, while not the same, they can understand one another. Mm. So that uh, they were invaders from the Far East into uh, Europe. And for a while it was feared that they would overrun uh, Europe to the Atlantic and take all of France. The Hungarians, uh, when they became Christian, became an intensely Christian people. So they have a very uh, rich heritage from being the most feared people in all of Europe, they became uh, among the most devout in their Christian faith. Yeah, it, it is a rich heritage, too. Mm -hmm. I actually stood in a pulpit that was a thousand years old. Mm. A thousand years, a millennia. That's marvelous, I mean. That's why, in one sense, it is sad where you see there, there's been an abandonment by many, but we pray that this is the beginning of a spiritual awakening there, and a true reformation again, that there would be a return to the faith of their fathers in the yes. true sense of the word. We certainly, you know, take no delight and see the Hungarian Reformed Church in such a state that it's in. As I pointed out in the earlier tape, it wasn't our desire um, to um, have this kind of you know, enmity, if you will, from their leadership. Our desire was to work with them without compromising the faith, and that's what we found was difficult to do. I'm sure we didn't do it perfectly in all the things that were done, but I know it's our heart's desire to do that. Perhaps you could tell us a little bit about Dr. Rapp so that our listeners can become familiar with him and uh, his importance to this work. Well, Dr. Rapp is a lifelong missionary. He um, first was sent out uh, under the Bible Presbyterian Church, um, and he worked in Brazil and then in Pakistan and finally found a home in South Korea mm -hmm. where he began uh, through the instigation of the Koreans, actually. He tells the story how he was forced into... Uh, starting a theological school in the home of uh, of a man who became uh, who is now the president of the school, Dr. David Kim, and he began the school in David's uh, home, three or four students, and uh, that school now has been in existence going on 30 years, with um, over 650 churches mm -hmm. planted by the graduates of Westminster. A biblical missions uh, seminary in Seoul, South Korea, and it's self-supporting and self-sustaining. However, it's still a part of our mission because we've, you know, um, because we are conservative and and refuse to be involved with the World Council of Churches, even in South Korea, we've had difficulties. If it hadn't have been for men like uh, Jesse Helms interceding for us personally at times. Um, they tried to shut the school down. The liberals, the theological liberals, getting the ear of the politicians there. But God has spared the school, and in fact, recently there's been some great developments where it looks like they may leave us alone, at least for a while. <laughs> and uh, Dr. Rapp labored there for many years, and uh, as I say, that work came to maturity, and it was then that uh, God turned his... Uh, head to, um, towards Europe, and Eastern Europe in particular, and the burden there for uh, that part of the world. But he um, went to Penn State Engineering when God called him to the ministry, and he, he uh, pressed on. I think he went, his doctorate is from uh, Grace uh, Seminary in, uh, what is that, Winona Lake, isn't it? Grace Seminary is an independent school. But he is a minister in the Presbyterian Church in America, has been for a number of years. He was kind of disenfranchised by the Bible Presbyterian Church way back when. In fact, they deserted him on the field. 
perhaps I shouldn't say that, but <laughs> it's what happened. The, 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 the birth of Westminster Biblical Missions was out of necessity. Mm -hmm. You know, not quite like uh, Dr. Machen, I mean, since it wasn't over theological liberalism, but it was over theological integrity and integrity financially and some mm -hmm. things that were going on. And so Dr. Rapp and another brother who was a missionary in Brazil, they wanted accountability. So they asked ministers that they knew and other uh, concerned laymen if they would establish a mission board so they could be accountable and have you know, integrity for their work. And that was the birth of the mission. In fact, we celebrate our 25th year in existence this year. We're having the 25th anniversary celebration in the Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania area. And so Dr. Rapp um, has been with the mission from its inception, one of the founders with Reverend Earl Pinckney. And uh, he's very much committed to the Reformed faith and uh, the, the name of the mission is Westminster Biblical Missions. Of course, it uses the Westminster standards. In Hungary, the uh, school um, and the young men are being taught uh, using the Second Helvetic Confession as well as the Heidelberg Catechism and the Westminster Standards, which we've introduced to them. Um, Who actually uh, makes up the curriculum? Well, it's under the curriculum, of course, is um, supervised by Dr. Rapp, who is, has the title of Field Secretary, and uh, our mission board that meets uh, twice a year goes over everything, and. Um, it follows pretty much uh, a traditional um, a conservative and reformed uh, curriculum, uh, the study of systematic theology. We have the study of the confessions, evangelism, church history, pastoral theology, homiletics, apologetics, Christian education, and so forth, um, as well as uh, English. We, we teach them English because a lot of the good theological material is published in English and um, not so much Do they so have in many of our publications in the library there? They do. Um, they certainly could use more. Um, the Banner of Truth Trust has given us books at 90% discount, which has been a real blessing. Well, supposing uh, we have the office mail you our book list and you can check those that you'd like to have for the library and we will donate them oh thank you very much mark will you take care of that tomorrow okay and the students uh, all are um, the the four-year students uh, acquire a proficiency a proficiency in english uh, in fact there's another need we need an english teacher for this coming year it's been basically through volunteers coming from the united states uh, one of our supporting uh, congregations, so to say, uh, uh, shared this need, and uh, one of the people in the congregation said, I'd like to do that. And so this husband and wife team uh, went over, and they taught English for a couple of semesters and uh, out of their own pocket mm -hmm. did this. Uh, and that's just marvelous. But we have that need for this coming year in September to have an English teacher. So just to share that with your listeners. Mm -hmm. If any of them would like to contact me at the mission about this, I'd love to hear from them. Also, I'd like to uh, tell you a little bit about the program that we've developed there. Um, it began out of service. Uh, when you begin a work, you don't know where it's gonna go and what God is gonna do with it. It might come to naught in, the, in, in your, our estimation, but the Lord has provided the school to continue to prosper and develop and mature uh, its program. We have a two-year program and a four-year program. At first we thought maybe we'd only be able to accomplish a two-year program. And we call that uh, the Levite program, which is has a particular purpose to train men who, who are not going to be pastors, per se, but can go and just help in their churches and assist the pastors maybe to work with the youth or work with the indigent or what have you, but to be assistants. And we thought, well, the Levite was kind of that idea. And so we give a Levitical diploma for two years of study. But now we do offer a four-year diploma uh, for our graduates uh, who uh, receive this academic degree and are working 
um, with some schools here to even help in that regard to uh, to give um, an accreditation which we have not been able to receive in Hungary because of the opposition. Who, uh, how are the, is the uh, examinations done? Written, uh, oral, uh, essay type? Yes, yes, and yes. Yes, yes, and yes. <laughs> we um, give them uh, examinations, of course, that are written, and they also have to do oral examinations. Um, the thing that was amazing, having taken part uh, um, over 15 years of numerous examinations for the ministry in my own denomination, to see these young men uh, recite the Heidelberg Catechism, uh, not in their own language, but in English, is uh, quite an accomplishment indeed. Uh, I, I don't think that most denominations anymore even require their ministers to, uh, to memorize the Catechism or anything like that that I know of. No, they don't. And yet, not too far back in our history, most believers knew the Catechism by heart, and some knew the Confession of Faith by heart. Mm. One of the really uh, amazing experiences for me in the late 60s was to spend a day with uh, a very noted American, uh, one of the giants in the oil world, a man who left a foundation going into the billions. And he knew not only the Westminster Catechism by heart, but he knew chapters, entire chapters of the Confession of Faith, hmm. pages long. And he was surprised when I expressed surprise. He said when he was young, he knew quite a few who had been brought up uh, with a knowledge and the memorization of that material and more. So we're uh, a world away from that sort of thing, and yet it was all around us once. Yes, indeed. Well, we uh, require them as students to uh, know the Heidelberg Catechism by memory, and that's a requirement still in the Hungarian Reformed Church as well. We give them 160 hours uh, in the program, um, two semesters each year. And of course they can go, as I said, two-year program or a four-year program. And, but emphasizing as well the work of the ministry that's required out um, in the community. One uh, thing of note was in Mishkoltz there is um, an institute for technology, MIT by the way, <laughs> Mishkoltz Institute of Technology, uh, not quite as prestigious as our own here I suppose, but uh, the director who is a lady came to our school and uh, said, I'd like for your students or someone at the school to come over and uh, speak to our students. They're, she said they, they come here and they're just, uh, you know, they're, they just have no heart. They, they just have no um, zeal for life. They, they're, um, uh, their countenance is sad and depressed. Can you help us? And that opened the door for our young men to go there, and, and they're quite musically oriented, and they sing and, and play different instruments and to have a worship service and to preach the gospel. And they loved it. And she said, oh, please come back. So they're regularly invited to have services there. Uh, there is a real hunger for the Word of God. Um, many There are many people that they've never heard the gospel. And they've gone to Reformed churches all their lives, because you can have that here in the United States, too. I remember when I was a seminary student uh, going up into New England, knocking on doors, helping a, a pastor begin a work, and people never heard the gospel in Massachusetts, Massachusetts colony. 
you know, oh, Massachusetts, how you've fallen, um, you know, and that's the state of affairs there, too. Of course, as you know, 40 years of communism, you know, and many of the good pastors just taken away. Very few people are aware of the kind of blackout uh, communism produced. Mm. I've talked to people who are behind the Iron Curtain, and for starters, they could not speak about the faith to their children, because their children would be regularly grilled at the school to find out whether there was teaching uh, of the Bible in the home. And lest their children suffer, and they also, they would keep the faith from their children as much as possible. Unless the children got older and they felt they could trust them. So uh, it created a great emptiness in the life of the younger generation. They were alienated out of fear from their parents and their parents from them. Now, that sort of thing doesn't go away quickly, and it does produce what you refer to, the deadness. Mm -hmm. uh, there isn't the warmth, because at the key point where there should be a warmth in human relationships, it is forbidden, so to speak, to be intimate, and there is a deadness that sets in. You see that still in the face of the people there. They're just not used to... Um being warm and, yeah. and expressing themselves outwardly, you know, just in the general populace. Even if you are a Russian, for example, and you go back to Russia, people will know that you are a foreigner when you walk the streets, not just from your clothes. Your clothes may be no different, but from the expression on your face, mm. there is an outgoing aspect to it. I know one young man who was in Russia for a few months and in a totally isolated area, totally Russian, totally surrounded by uh, people who were a product of nothing but uh, a communist background. But when he went back to Moscow before leaving and saw someone there whom he knew, the person looked at him and said, now you look like a Russian. There's no expression left in you. I had a, a ship captain tell me that. He was hauling grain to the Black Sea, to the Black sea uh, and they were offloading this uh, wheat from the United States over there to the Ukraine, I guess of all places, which used to produce more wheat than anybody until they destroyed it. And uh, he got off the boat, the first time he'd ever been there, and he was... Uh, impressed by the fact that everyone that he met, that he came upon in the street, had this dour expression on their face. No one smiled. No one said hello. Uh, he got back on the boat again. He says it was just terribly depressing. Well, one of the things that you know we need to do in the work there is to teach the people a Christian world and life view um, in every sphere. And that we certainly want to do. It, it, you, you see that um, in the matter of work, their worth ethics are, are terrible. Uh, there's been somewhat of a, a turning back to communism. They voted back in some of the communists because mm -hmm. they want, well, we're not getting the dole. This, this, where's our you know, money from the state? Rather than understanding, no, you, you work and you prosper from the work of your hands and this generation now this has no concept of that you talk about 40 years just a couple of generations and so there has to be a change there and uh, so we pray to see you know this conversion you know that will happen uh, in their society as people are converted individually and there will be, you'll, you'll see that, I believe, a manifestation of that Christian faith expressed. Expressed in their culture, expressed uh, economically, expressed in every area of life. You know, the, the media in the United States, um, 
they uh, portrayed Hungary as being probably the best able to handle the transition from communism to uh, cap capitalism in their economy. But I just wonder how did how did this filter out into the, for instance, the area where you have the mission? Are are there any jobs, or is there any job creation going on? Well, there's some, yes, um, but as I, I I think I said earlier, there's 35 percent unemployment. Is that because there's no jobs, or because they uh, don't go after the jobs that are there? You and I are used to saying, "Oh, you got a great idea." Let's do it. Let's start this business. Yeah. You know, the, the spirit of the entrepreneur is still well and alive in the United States. You know, that's part of our Protestant work ethic, you know, and that we delight in prospering from the work of our own hands, and that's exciting to us. And they don't conceive of that, of having an idea and going and doing something with it. No, somebody has to tell me what to do. Mm. And they're, it's like they're standing around waiting to be told. Although I have noticed is over the six years that I've been traveling there, there is a change. Mm -hmm. And you see it happening, but there's bad change too. Prostitution is now rampant the, because the German businessmen are coming in there and they're big time buyers of the brothel trade. And, um, you know, so it's not all good. And, uh, of course, some of that's being, you know, touted as, oh, well, this is what the Western civilizations bringing into our country. We didn't have this before. Sadly, it's true to mm -hmm. a certain extent, but they have the morality for it, obviously, or the immorality, <laughs> the lack of morality. Uh, it is. Uh, it's, it's just more open now than it was six years ago. And, of course, the, the, the thievery and things of this nature are terrible. And if there, were, if there was this you know, vibrant reformed faith that supposedly has 25% of the population, that remnant, I mean 25% to it, that's a great number. You would see it much better in its expression among the people. Well, I think in the, in the Depression here in the United States, uh, what they considered catastrophic unemployment was something like 25%, wasn't it? Yes. What, uh, the, the work that these young men do specifically, uh, uh, give us a little more detail on that. Well, they're trying to uh, go into different areas um, where they've made contacts, uh, uh, finding friendly pastors or in an area where there are some people they know to establish a Bible study. Uh, an unauthorized Bible study, you know how bad those mm -hmm. are, <laughs> you know, to um, uh, try to build the church up that way. Now, they were trying to do it cooperatively before with the Hungarian Reformed Church, but, you know, there are state statements now that uh, the, the bishops have made that if any pastor in the district gives any credence to these young men, they will face disciplinary procedure. So they've been cut off from that avenue. So some of the Bible said, I mean, the people literally fled because of it. And so they're working, you know, from, from the bottom up, if you will. They have no established uh, uh, work. We're going there and trying to help them to find a facility and just to let people know we're having a Bible study. This is a, this is a, um, a Bible study where the Bible is held to be the word of God and, uh, Invite your friends and uh, please come. Among these other ministers that these uh, young men approach uh, in private conversation, do they ever ask the question, why is the, the primary church, uh, what are they afraid of? I mean, do they ever ask themselves, you know, why should we be afraid of this Bible study? I don't know. I think it's job security. <laughs> well, I, I realize they're not going to get, you know, uh, right out front with it, but, I mean, in private conversation, do they express, you know, what's the fear? What, what's the motivation for the fear of, the, of the, uh, the state church, if you will? That they're going to lose their position? They're going to lose their jobs? Is, that, is, it, is it boiled down to just uh, fear of economics? 
Well, of course, they don't say that. I mean, they've said, well, we don't know what they're teaching, which simply isn't true. I mean, we provided mm -hmm. them documentation and, and everything. Um, you, they, they don't publish that. I mm -hmm. mean, they just would say that we're um, schismatic. Uh, they use charges like that. Um, you know, they certainly can't do that we're teaching false doctrine. There's no evidence to that. And yeah, it sounds like a smokescreen. I mean, these are, uh, you know, disingenuous uh, criticisms. Uh, but uh, what I'm probing for here is the, uh, you know, what are they afraid of? Are they afraid of losing their jobs? Are they so used to this control from the top down that uh, they're, they're afraid of uh, the Bible schools? Well, it would simply have to be my opinion about that, Douglas. Um, yeah, I think, you know, it, it possibly puts them out of a job <laughs> in that regard, or worse, on some of their, in some of the cases, I think it's because these bishops are unconverted. And uh, it's the old problem of an unconverted ministry. And so the kind of people you like in your churches are unconverted people. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that is a, a real problem. That's what the students would tell you. They would tell you that. He said, the problem is that these people aren't Christians. Our time is about up now. I want to urge all of you to send in, however small, a gift to uh, the work because I feel it is so important what is being done there in Pakistan and elsewhere uh, where the board is involved. So would you give us again, Dennis, the name and the address? Yes, this is Westminster Biblical Missions and it's Post Office Box 602. Post Office Box 602, and that's in Carbondale, C-A-R-B-O-N-D-A-L-E, Carbondale, Pennsylvania, 18407, 18407. And you can earmark that for Hungary if you put it on the gift, or uh, it'd be nice to know um, that you heard of our work from this mm -hmm. tape ministry. I'd appreciate a little note that way, too. Yes. I know that from the previous tapes we did have some response. Good, very, I'm glad to hear that. Very grateful for that. Well, thank you all for listening, and God bless you. And uh, we're very, very happy to know of your work always, because we feel it's an important part of God's work of reconstructing the church in our generation. Amen. Thank you all and good night.